Hey, it's Ricky and uh, with Rocket Con, and I'm here with somebody I don't even know how long I've known you. Uh, easily over a decade, uh, right? Probably about 12 years, something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, this is my good friend. Uh, well, I call him Kev Grin. Uh, introduce yourself. <laughs> Kevin McElvaney. Um, uh, yeah. As I'm not accounted for. Um. Kev, uh, do you remember where we first met? Yeah, um, I, I, it would have had to have been, like in person, it would have had to have been in your house, but we met uh, on the Org Summit message board. Yeah, yeah that, that's, uh, let me see if I, I wrote this backwards, so I'll see if it shows up for you. I wrote the internet. Because, uh, <laughs> um, I, I guess that's where we met uh, in person. Yeah, I guess it was at my house. I don't. Uh, I, the first time I remember us together was Death the False Hope Fest, but yes. you played, and I was like, I had to have known you, met you in person, but maybe not. Maybe I was just like my internet friend play guitar with us. <laughs> well, that was pretty much it. But like it, it, what you did was say, you know, we had to practice because I, I, I mm -hmm. learned the songs and then I came down to play that set. Well, I was going to go to the festival anyway. And then you yeah, uh, invited me to play with you guys. And I, uh, ended up yeah I, I was i said well you know obviously i want to practice with you first because it's one thing yeah. you know how to play the songs and another to be able to play them with the band and uh went over to your place and i don't think we practiced at your house but like no. I, I drove to your place and then you took me to whoever was drumming at the I time think daniel was drumming back then yeah like, uh yeah so we went to daniel's house and practiced yep yeah wild that's wild that was yeah. a leap of faith on your part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I met you there, but like a lot of other people from that message board I met for the first time, like in the pit, so to speak. Like I ran into them at whatever show we were both attending. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's, it's funny. I can, and I can recall, not all, but like a lot of people, like uh, our mutual friend, Justin, I remember meeting him. Oh, and uh, and uh, Scott from Ontario. I, I met the oh, two yeah. of them like, in the street. Oh, actually, Scott from Ontario was a different time. But I, met, I remember meeting Justin, like, in the street, like, on the Ben Franklin Parkway. <laughs> like, that's think, the first place I ran into him. I think uh, Mark came down that one. Uh, For uh, Death of False Hope? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a yeah. lot of people came. It was... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's where I met uh, Ryan and Jordan uh, mm -hmm. yeah. for the first time. I, don't, I think Flynn was there, too, right? Yeah. Flynn was there. Yeah. Um, Mark uh, was Bottle there. Bottle was there. Mike B. Josh, yeah. Vegan Boy Josh. I'm trying yeah. to get more yeah, Rob, out there wow. that I can help. Yeah, we met. It's where we all really met in person for the first time. Yeah, I'm trying uh, to think. It was, it was really a lot of people. Yeah, uh, Sloan. I maybe met Sloan before that though. Uh, Sarah. A whole bunch of other people came down for it. It was really cool. Like people were yeah. traveling from Ian. Yeah, uh, yeah, all over the country, so, and and some from Canada. So, world. That's how Kevin and I became in person friends. And with and as you met, I uh, heard a lot of other people, uh, a lot of mutual friends. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's wild that the you know the internet brought us together, and now we're talking to each other through the internet uh, <laughs> once again. Um, so I'm going to jump in. We're going to do 10 good minutes. So it's a, a 10 minutes of questions I had prepared ahead of time. 
uh and then we'll just kind of have a conversation and then we're going to do our uh our top 10 Bret Hart rivalries uh and that will make more sense uh when Kev starts talking about himself so uh Kevin describe yourself in 10 words or less what's your tagline <laughs> how many words was that laugh uh, <laughs> um Editor-in-chief of Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine. That's that's my LinkedIn tagline. So there you go. There you go. Uh, that's a uh, definitely a professional tagline, but not a personal one. There's a lot more to you than that. Um, uh, Kevin, this is a primary primarily board gaming channel. Do you like board games? Yeah, love All it. All right. What's your favorite board game? Gosh, that's a tough one. Um, I think my go-to is Dixit. Like that's oh, really okay. like just to break that out. Like it's pretty easy to learn. It's more fun when you when everybody knows each other. You can make a lot of uh, abstract jokes with it. It's the art's it's really good. Good part. Art's really gorgeous in that game too. Beautiful. Uh, so so good. And then you have the different uh, expansion packs for it. Are also really nice. Have you ever played um, uh, Mysterium? Gosh, I know I I know I did at one point, but I'm not remembering it very okay. well. Because it's got those kind of like it's one person was murdered and everybody's yeah. trying to figure it out clue style, like who, who the murderer was, but you use Dixit cards too, like the similar style of cards. Uh, you mm -hmm. might like that. It's yeah. Um now that's not the haunted house one, is it? No, that's betrayal of the house on the hill, is what he's oh doing. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Um you're, you're, we're burning through classics here. I, if you ever manage to make it back down to, to Virginia, uh, we'll uh, we'll play some board games. So. I will one day, and I, I know I've had uh, myriad excuses for not well, doing it. I think maybe the, the pandemic has been the best one. But. Yeah, no, you, you never. It's never an excuse. Uh, real life is a, a reason. Um, but uh, and you have a lot of real life hit you sometimes. So, mm -hmm. um, so what is your day job? Because I find your day job amazing. Yeah. Uh, so Pro Wrestling Illustrated is the, uh, we say the number one world's, the number one wrestling magazine in the world since 1979. It is that old. It predates me on this earth. I read growing up as a kid. I read, there were some other affiliate magazines that I read as well. And my first freelance writing gig out of college was for one of those other magazines, the Wrestler and Side Wrestling Combo Magazine, um, which is not published anymore, but. PWI Pro Wrestling Illustrated very much is. Um, if anyone watching this follows wrestling at all and has heard of the magazine, it is probably for the PWI 500 list, which is an annual ranking of the top 500 wrestlers in the world. That's that's the top seller. Um, but yeah, this is a magazine I grew up reading as a kid. It was a little bit different back then. It was very much immersed in the, the fiction of wrestling or kayfabe yeah. as it's called back yeah. then. Um, and it still holds on to elements of that and that like we'll refer to people as athletes and we'll say competed instead of performed against more often than not. Uh, I will say they are athletes. I, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I don't think, I mean, even WWE who like really tries to distance itself from the, uh, the term wrestling and uses sports entertainment. And all yeah. these words, We'll still yeah. say athletes because they're athletes and yeah. have, you know, some more than others, some are, if you're there, there's the saying that like, if you're big enough, you really don't have to be, yeah. Um, you do have to be an athlete because you still have to have stamina to do that, like throw people around and things like that. Sure. <laughs> it's, uh, well, I mean, and look at like uh, Big Show, right? 
that yep. dude was walking the top rope. <laughs> That's not an easy thing to do. So. No, it's not. He was uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Huge, over 700, over seven feet tall and 400 pounds. <laughs> over 700 pounds would be even more amazing to walk yeah, over. That, that, those rings, I don't think would be able to hold up. It's no. a lot. Of, they, they hold up to a lot. Uh, but Maybe not that, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, since you've been doing this job, what has it changed your perception of, of the industry at all? Cause I know you've been a lifelong wrestling fan, right? That's some, something we bonded over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, like what, uh, what, is, what is your change in the industry been, or has there been since you started, uh, the, uh, the my perception of it, you mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a little bit different looking at things on the inside. I will interact with people on a daily and weekly basis, not necessarily in person. That's, that's even, even without the pandemic, that would be more rare these days, just because you don't have to do it that way anymore. Yeah. Um, but over the phone and, um, through zoom and email and texts and DMS, just interacting with these people who, uh, you know, five, 10 years ago, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to this person. Yeah. There's still little flashes of that, depending on who it is, especially if it's someone I grew up watching. Like yeah. I, had a, I had a call with Jacques Rougeau a few weeks ago uh, who played the Mountie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that was like, like a moment. Yeah. And, and my wife, Megan does, does not, I mean, she'll watch wrestling with me now, but like right. was never a wrestling fan before we met, but she knew who the Mountie was because of wrestling, you know, kind of yeah. back it then. Pervasive. It was pervasive. Yes. Yes, yeah. and, and and boys of a certain age watched it, and I think it was on because her brother was watching it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it, that there's that, but I think the other part is I've kind of found, and I and I know you found this to to different degrees with uh with the gaming community too, but like the way that we bonded through music and yeah, you know, met online first, but then met in person, and then yeah. developed a real friendship, and and same with some other folks that we both know. Um, it's happening with uh twitter and some other primarily awesome and wrestling yeah it's cool and it's and and it's funny because a lot of those same people are i don't know i'm i i'm slightly on the older side like i'm the older statesman of that yeah a lot of people are in their 30s whereas i was i wasn't one of the youngest on on our message boards but i was kind of in the middle yeah Um, Yeah. you too you know and um here these are people i probably would have not run into but it's funny because in a lot of other cases, they came from some of those same backgrounds. Like they were going to see the, the same punk bands that we saw or yeah. they were interested in the same kind of art and, and movies and music. Yeah. Really, you know, so it's there's something about the contemporary, especially on the independent level uh, wrestling landscape that like draws in people like that. And I think yeah. probably part of that is the, the whole fest wrestling thing where they have yeah. Yeah. sprung up around that or even uh, this like the, the Lehigh Valley thing. Yeah. Now. You may have heard of them just because a lot of bands use this Lehigh Valley apparel creation sure. to print merch. Uh, Iron Cheek uses them, a whole bunch of Piss Jeans, maybe a whole bunch of other bands. And then they created um, the Lehigh Valley Athletic Commission, something like that. But like it's it's basically a wrestling promotion, indie wrestling uh-huh. promotion. And they like the band, uh, oh God, what? It's terrible. Um, the, uh, I'm forgetting which band. Was it Snowing, maybe? So, but like, like, but like, one of those like third or fourth wave emo bands got back together for a show at one of these. Oh, wrestling. oh, yeah. There's a lot of overlap, and it's yeah, cool. that is cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I mean, there's, I'll, I'll tell you, Adrian never understood wrestling, never understood why I liked wrestling, and then we went to Dragon Con 
the second time we went and they had Dragon Con wrestling and she got to see it in person and all of a sudden it all clicked for her. Uh, you know, I think there's a spectacle to it uh, that I don't yeah. think people appreciate because they'll never take the time to go and see it live. They just watch it on TV or see the ridiculousness of it. And, it, you know, uh, so it definitely converted her. <laughs> uh, yeah. Dragging it, which yeah. was, that was, you know, very much indie level wrestling. Not, I mean, they, they do get pro wrestlers in there to do, you know, a couple of moments, but it's, uh, it's very indie level. Uh, and I was just like, could, could you imagine seeing, you know, like a Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart in person? <laughs> like how much yeah, better? Yeah, yeah. It it's, um, it's huge. But like the other thing is that with some of these indies and not, not everybody, some people will stay like mm -hmm. on the indies forever. And some, some it's more by choice than others. But yeah, uh, other times you have like someone like a Brian Danielson, who's very much a classic Bret Hart vein, who's now on, um, on AEW. And he was an inventor in WWE championship. He started on that independent level. That was the first time I ever saw him work a match, you know, and then um, eventually he ended up at the top of the top WWE. You can see this evolution of people. And it's not necessarily that even, I mean, he developed certain parts of his game that WWE mm has -hmm. uh, a lot of emphasis on, like the, the talking and selling people on your matches. But the truth is he was largely the same as he'd always been. He just got to do it on this different stage. So it's it's not just because it's on the independent level doesn't mean it's not good. No, no, no. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. I well, I meant more yeah. just, uh, you you know, I, I didn't mean they were very fun to watch, very talented. But, I, you know, but you're, when you get you're the, right. That Fruit top like, choreographing. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some yeah. of it is people are in the ropes, so to speak. But then in other cases, it's... Uh, yeah, it's more of a stylistic choice that they're there, or maybe somebody yeah. unconventional, like a who was in Canada for a long, did very well in his father's wrestling company. Yeah, uh, you know, took a little while for WWE to one sign him, and then two really see the value in him as a top guy because he was like a you know mid level performer for yeah, always had that talent. It was just like they had to give him a shot because he was a little smaller. And, and Brian Daniels yeah. is an example of that. And, and I, yeah. I completely understand what you're saying. There's There are levels to it. And even within it's, the indies, there's some that have higher production values than others, some that have uh, workers they're yeah. called than others. So it's it's really interesting to get in and see that whole thing and, and the, the range of it. It's it's uh, it's just like anything else. It's like yeah. these board games, books, whatever else you can think of, there are, are degrees to which it's done. It can be as rough yeah. or as polished as you like. You know, it's when you're talking about it, it's funny. It really reminds me of, like when you said, there's the crossover with, you know, DIY music. Yep. Well, it sounds like wrestling's got a lot of the same, you know, tent poles as the music industry in this, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the local act and then the, the regional act and then the, you know, nationwide touring acts, the, major indies like the way you're talking about uh danison coming up really reminded me of a band uh that's kind of wild i never yeah. thought of wrestling that way and i always thought about you know it was who you knew right that's right. how it started a long time ago. like you knew somebody you got in there and then like you look at you know stampede out of uh, you know canada or that you know that's where all those guys came out of right they were yep. all knew somebody uh, but now you got the chance to break in. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah.
certainly a level of politics to it. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's the, the same thing with music or anything else. If you have these connections, it's a little easier to do well. Um, and I mean, there's also a certain amount of, hey, for me now I can do it and I'm dancing before somebody else. Like we've definitely seen that. Um, uh, you know, I probably shouldn't name names, but I mean, even within WWE, there are multiple like next generation wrestlers who maybe took a little longer to yeah. Uh, get, yeah. like long to it, but then they became among the best. And you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll say a name. I mean, like a Randy Orton, someone like okay. that. I really do think though he okay, always yeah. felt like, right. He's a third generation wrestler. His dad did it. His grandpa okay. did it before him. Cowboy Bob Orton uh, before him. And then Bob Orton Sr. wrestled yep. back in the 50s, 60s. And Randy Orton, definitely, he's considered a top-level guy now. Everybody, like, industry-wide, like, regardless of taste, would be like, oh, that guy knows what he's doing. But but he didn't come out of the box that way. He was on WWE TV, even after having been trained and everything, learning the ropes for a while. And, I mean, I I don't think anybody could objectively look at his old stuff and say he was at the level that he was presented at all the time. But today, it's like there's no question. He's, like, he's he's gotten to where he needs to be. So there's, there's still nepotism especially on those high levels, but yeah. there's a chance to get out there and do something different and really make something of yourself. And I think that's awesome. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, you know, and I, I think one of the things that's been really fun for me is the more you've done this job, the thing I've seen is your, uh, not just your exposure to, but your knowledge of, you know, new Japan and just all the other international things that I didn't have access to, and I could have, right. I, I chose not to, but sure. I got to kind of experience it through you. Uh, and that's really cool for me. Like, that's the thing I've seen is your, your just intimate knowledge of other things, uh, wrestling related, uh, I think is really cool. Uh, so Thank you. what's your favorite non U S organization? Like what's, what do you think is the best non U S my favorite thing to watch right now, and it has been for a good year or so, is a promotion called World Wonder Ring Stardom. It's based in Japan. It's what's called a Joshi promotion. So over in Japan, for not at every level, not, not across the board, certainly not always on the independent level, but the big promotions in Japan have always kind of, you know how there's men and women's divisions in yeah. the US. Rather than doing that, they've traditionally operated as separate promotions, but the women's wrestling in Japan has been, I mean, in Japan, wrestling has been on another level for a very long time, but um, the women's wrestling scene developed out of a mix of like the, the, the Japanese wrestling that was already happening. And then someone by the name of Mildred Burke, who came in decades and decades ago, one of the, the, the most, uh, the highest drawing wrestling acts, regardless of gender of all time, went over in Japan, trained with a lot of these women, and then also simultaneously, you had uh, luchadoras from Mexico coming in, or maybe even it was male luchadors in some case, and, the, and all these influences blended together. Um, stardom is kind of like the ideal presentation in my mind of that in the modern day, where it's really at this high level. These are hard hitting matches. They're meaning they're, they're still choreographed, but they look very real. And in some cases they're kind of laying into each other a little bit, the same as how in like a, an action scene in a movie. Yeah. They're not trying to injure each other, but occasionally they connect with that, that forearm or punch a little more just because it looks a little better. And, and there's maybe an agreement with some of these stunt people like, okay, yeah, lay in a little bit. I can take it. Yeah. So there's that in real wrestling. Uh, in professional wrestling too, I should say, that level of uh, authenticity that's 
people maybe don't even know about, but there's also these acrobatic things. There's characters and costumes and different units that feud with one another, these uh, stables. And then there are people that defect from them. There's just a ton of drama built in in that way. And even uh, on shows where there's no kind of subtitling present, you can get a feel for what's going on. Once you have the basic, okay, this yeah. is so-and-so and she's with this group. Yeah. And this is so-and-so and she's with this group. It's just so well done. The matches are so great. I think you would really like watching them on a technical level. Um, that's my been my favorite to watch for quite a bit now. I, I really enjoy uh, a lot of independent stuff in the US, but you know, to your point with the, I'm glad you noticed that and appreciate that. But honestly, even over the past couple of years, I forced myself to step up my game in that. Yeah. You know, I'd certainly seen stardom before, but I've really dove into it in the past couple of years because like, okay, we've like not been sufficiently covering this important promotion that a lot of people are talking about. Let me see what the deal is. And, you know, ditto with some other Japanese promotions, some European promotions, um, Mexican promotions that we've maybe that have been around for a long time, but we've maybe been yeah. overlooking them because we didn't yeah. have access. And in some cases, it was just as simple as, you know, let me send a DM to this person. And Google has like, I, I know a certain amount of Spanish and Google will fill in the rest. And I can tell yeah. if it's at least not total gibberish. And then <laughs> on the Japanese side, some sometimes there are people who already speak English. So like, let me start with them and see who they can put me in touch with. Yeah. And trying to make those, you know, connections so we can have it in the magazine. Because I, I don't know if you read pwi or anything at all when you I, were a kid but if you I did, did i did oh awesome so, so like one one thing that was cool about it is that you know we could watch when we were kids wwf and wcw and then yeah. at a certain point ecw yeah but on tv it was a lot harder to see stuff yeah you know if you didn't know about the whole t- tape trading side of things which as a kid i certainly didn't of um, course you basically relied on whatever kind of semi-official compilations you could find in a store somewhere yep, yep. and pwi which would tell you about the wrestling that was going on everywhere else. So that's been like my mission. And in a way it totally flows from that same vein of, Ooh, I like this band. Let me see yeah. who influenced them. Let me yeah. see who they toured with. Let me yeah. see like, what's this genre? I've never even heard of this. Subject yeah. Before. yeah. Oh, this is wild. Let me check this out when I'm in the mood for it. <laughs> and it's very much the same thing because within wrestling, you have these different international promotions with their own styles. You have more traditional like what? British style wrestling. You have deathmatch style wrestling. There's that were just like wild weapons and blood and all this stuff that to some degree existed in wrestling years ago, but it's just gotten more extreme as time goes on. Kind of like yeah. hardcore music, you know, like that kind of thing. It's a, it's funny when you were talking about, you know, your, your international promotion, the, um, gotta get, the, the wrestling world, uh, the, I can't remember what it was called, but the stardom one is good for a shorthand. That's what yeah, I want stardom. Um, the way you were talking about it and then when you were talking about how PWI was when we were growing up, right, where it really leaned into it, it really reminded me of what WWF back then, now E, was like in that, you know, late 80s into the mid 90s where there was very like you had good guys and bad guys and the very theatrical storytelling, uh, which I think after the Attitude Era, they kind of went away from being quite so theatrical you know you and some of it was racist like right you know there were some major problems with that but it was you know outside of the problematic nature of it i feel like wrestling used to be a little more theatrical that they still had that kind of uh you know it seems a little more uh i don't know uh 
Like you're inside. It's a little postmodern, I guess. It is. It is. The fourth wall was broken in a very real way. And WWE is in large part responsible for that because Vince McMahon, uh, I believe in court, said something along the lines of, well, this is, we, we shouldn't have to deal with these athletic commissions because we're yeah. not really sport We're we're yeah. predetermined outcomes yeah. and, you know, we're using elements of sport. Um, so that's definitely part of it. I think all of it also, it's some, some of it is that society is changing because I mean, certainly while there, there was always this buzz about, is this real? How much of it's real? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's been going back you know before some of our grandparents were born yes absolutely like exposés on it and things yeah but it wasn't as widespread because you didn't have the internet and social media so that that was another aspect so they sort of leaned into that after a while i mean i'm sure we'll talk about during the the bret hart list like there there's one rivalry there that was (laughs) responsible in part for that yeah (laughs) yeah you're right there's the simple the the reality ricky is that in stardom, in, as in much of other uh, wrestling promotions in Japan, they are not as consistently acknowledging how choreographed it is. They really yeah. do protect, and, and I've noticed this just on the magazine side of things, trying to get access to people, like really trying to impress upon them, like, no, we we get that it's we get that yes. the wrestlers have to keep kayfabe in these interviews. Yes. That's historically how we did it anyway. We're yes. we're hundred percent down to help do help you do that on this yes. side of the ocean. You know, like that's that's please. Um, and it gets more eyes on the product. And I think there's such respect for the art form and the, yeah. the sports side of it going back so far in Japan. It was never, I, I don't want to say it was never. I'm sure there are people even now that laugh at it, but sure. But it's really like a much higher level of respect uh, culturally yeah. than it is in the US. Like, like there really is just a lot of side eye over here that there oh, hasn't been necessarily for as long. It's, a, it's an alternative culture, even if it has been in popular culture, it's still an alternative culture. 100%. So I yeah. think it's it's respected and it's a little bit easier to keep kayfabe. And I, th- I, I do think that's part of why you can tell these more straightforward stories, even if you're, uh, you know, doing the, this wild action. Whereas yeah. on the West side of things, it's, it, you've, there's this compulsion to set everything up with a 15 minute promo talking about the match. And like, here's why I really hate this guy. And yeah. Like, yeah, it, it was a little simpler back then. And I, I think it's good that we've gotten away from the, the broad strokes and stereotypes and yes. And the problematic side of absolutely rep- representation of wrestling has improved quite a bit. So there, there's good things about it, but um, unquestionably, but I think um, we could benefit to some degree by getting back to the little bit more. Hey, here's these two people, and they don't like each other. Yeah. And, or maybe they're yeah. just they would both really want the championship, and they're going to go head to head with it. If we I mean, can get back to that to some extent, I think about. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a you know the thing I think about that is you know the Hulk Hogan Macho Man Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, felt like real drama, and I think well you know they did hate each other, so maybe there was real drama there, right? Uh, right. And I, I, there is a part of me where, you know, I, I think we can, to your point, blend that a little bit, right. Get some of the kayfabe back in there because part of that's part of the fun of wrestling. And I do feel like that's been lost a little, like, and that, that could just be me, but when I watch now, because we're in on it so much, it, it lost a little of that mystique, you know, you, mm-hmm. you know, was Jerry law, did Jerry Lawler really hate, you know, um, Andy, uh, Andy Kaufman, or, or were they friends? Who knew, you know, right. And I know that's going way back, but 
there was yeah. just something about that, right? That you could have these characters and we laud method actors, right? We laud Daniel Day-Lewis because yeah. he'll stay in character and we'll talk about Jared Leto. But we didn't we didn't acknowledge what a just an a, a incredible job these people did of embodying a character all the time <laughs> in public. Like they had to be that persona. Yep. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, like that kind of part probably did kind of suck. Uh, right. That you didn't get to just be yourself with your fans, but yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How cool was that? Right. You got to see these people. You really hated big van Vader, you know? Sure. Um, well, he was legitimately a terrifying man. <laughs> he was like, yes. Who would mess with that guy? <laughs> yes. uh, well, and then he was on boy meets world and was very, uh, that's uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what what is out there like do you think some of because so i say all that but then there is real life drama right and we're we're privy to that so like something the cm punk return like how does that for you who's deeply entrenched in it now and was deeply entrenched in it then how does that feel to those kind of like miss elizabeth wedding those kind of moments so i mean that's a good example and that's that's one where i was a little more forgiving of the long talking segments which Frankly, Ricky, after decades, like I'm bored of the the 15 minute promo. It, yeah. it is very rare that it works, unless it's like a retirement or something really yeah. special, or like when CM Punk came back when he first yeah. returned. But he had this feud with MJF, which is, I think, probably in part what you're alluding to here. But um, MJF, one of the top bad guys in AEW, um, legitimately grew up idolizing CM Punk. Uh, had there's a p- famous picture of him with CM Punk when I, I don't know MJF's probably in his teens um, and they built this story around that with him like going after CM Punk and saying it's because you know you were my hero and you helped me get through uh, everything and I said I you like to joke that this was just another day to you but this was the best day of my life and I had people picking on me at school because I was Jewish and then I went home and I thought at least I'm going to get to see CM Punk and meet him tonight at least I have that and then like and then one day you were just up and gone from wrestling you walked away and I didn't know what to do with myself yeah. it, was, it was heart heartbreaking and MJF yeah. is this this like famously like underhanded just vile person yeah <laughs> and you're like that could have happened. That easily yeah. could have happened. Yeah. Because a lot of people were like, oh, the CM Punk's gone. What the hell? Yeah. And, and he was a little younger. And the, even CM Punk and Iron like he without the microphone, he goes, Is this real? Is this real? <laughs> like yeah. people were, people didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Like, Everybody's talking about this. Yeah. And then the next week, like he kind of called him out on it again, like saying, like, like, tell me, like, tell me the truth. And then like he was like ready to tell him the truth and they ended up just blindsiding him and beating him down and bloodying yeah. him. And he's like, uh, he basically said like, you're a fool. You shouldn't have trusted me. He flat out quoted an old CM Punk moment that he had used against another wrestler, uh, Jimmy Rave, who, who unfortunately passed away uh, last uh-huh. year. But he, he said, I'm a snake. That's your mistake. You shouldn't have trusted me because I'm a snake. And like, it was just really, really volatile, dramatic stuff. In the moment you get sucked into it, when you step back and look at it at a distance, you can say, oh, this was an homage to this. Yeah. And this was really clever yeah. because Punk did this in the past and MJF did this in the past. And this could mean MJF become, kind of taking the mantle of uh, CM Punk's former place as this top wrestling heel villain, you know? So it's just, uh, even now talking to you, I'm getting kind of like uh, goosebumpy. Yeah, yeah, I've been watching all these years and it's like, that was so well executed. And yeah, 
and and given that history of like problematic things in wrestling they took really dicey subject matter and they weaved it in in a way that felt appropriate because of who was saying it and how he was saying it and how there was that story was it was it felt true even if like every note of it wasn't 100 percent true you yeah. know that like, yeah like he's been very open about the fact that he's been bullied in the past and bullied because yeah. of his religion and you know that cm punk left wrestling and you know that had to have hurt him because he was, yeah he was he idol. idolized the guy growing up yeah so you it's yeah. it was it was amazing that that is worth i, I realized i just gave away a lot of it but if it's still worth going back and watching it and then seeing the ensuing matches between them well um, i think we're long enough away from that that uh if somebody <laughs> weren't uh that i think we're outside the spoiler zone on that oh one. sure sure but i mean like, if somebody's uh, interested in checking it out not having watched wrestling but I, yeah I don't know. well you know i think you had to give that context because yeah. if they didn't have all that context watching yes. it wouldn't make any sense and, and that's, you know, something when I saw that and saw how impassioned people were about that, yeah. I was just like, that really reminded me of watching, you know, Bret Hart's uh, turn against the United States. Yes. And, and, you know, even back, even then, you know, was this really real, but it definitely felt real when you think about the attitude era, right? Like, and what that mm-hmm. represented and what, Bret Hart represented there had to be some legitimate like oh I really do hate this this isn't the wrestling I want anymore right right Uh, and so seeing that because uh for those of you that don't know Kevin does know this Bret Hart is my favorite wrestler uh (laughs) number one um that's I guess important but uh it was just kind of wild because the politics of the real world creeping into that uh, I do think makes for some powerful stories I just wish we could find a way to blend it right make it yeah. uh make a new one so um, it doesn't always have to be that intense either there, yeah. there are simpler stories you can tell that are every bit as effective yeah so. yeah um what's your you know before we go into our our top 10 so we're going to do our top 10 uh Bret Hart rivalries uh which Kev got me with this and I will will say I took my time and actually thought through this. Normally I just do it off the top of my head, but I was like, this is something I want to be prepared on. Uh, so I'm prepared. <laughs> um, uh, but what's your, what's your favorite storyline in wrestling? Like what was your favorite? Just had the best matches, had the best storyline in wrestling history, any, any promotion, anything. Oh my God. That is so hard. Uh, <laughs> man. I, I'll give, this is an example I, I give for one of my f- favorite uh, matches. So let me use it here too. And this is, it goes back to that classic good guy, bad guy thing. So in NXT, which is the AAA baseball of WWE, yeah. it sort of evolved into like this WWE uh, extreme for a while. Like it yeah. was like just like this third varietal of WWE programming apart from their Raw and SmackDown. But at the time it was still, on the up is this developmental league that was getting more attention increasingly than uh, in some circles than the, the, the major league, just as, you know, some people like to go watch AAA baseball. Yeah. Um, and uh, these like hungry athletes there, they had this rivalry between Sasha Banks and Bailey. Yeah. Um, who were currently two of their top, top, top women stars. And they, there were several good matches in this series. There were like some um, multi-woman matches all centered around this NXT women's championship. And it was pretty well known 
that outside of the ring, these two got along really well. There wasn't, mm-hmm. that wasn't a well-kept secret um, in this, this modern day and age of wrestling. Right. However, in the moment, both of them embody these characters, as you said, where Sasha Banks being the boss, this heel obnoxious, wasn't going to let anybody take her spot. Like, like, what did you do to deserve this? And then Bailey was this friendly to a fault, like to go up and hug her opponents, like just like purely designed for little kids to love her type character. And she's since turned away from that. But in NXT, it worked very well, especially in when they were running some of these smaller arenas in Florida. She was very, very popular or over as the term is, is used. Um, and Bailey finally got into this championship picture where she was able to face Sasha for the belt. And they had this match and it was like the semi-main event at, I believe it was the biggest venue they'd run to date. It was the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And I was able to actually go up and see it in person. Megan and I drove up and um, it was so good. And the sound that crowd made when Bailey hit, she did like, there's this move called a, a Frankensteiner, which you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and it's it's you, a head scissors with your legs. You flip the person over off yeah. the top. Bailey did an inverted version of that, where it was a backflip onto Sasha. Oh, wow. Landed on the ground, and first of all, like that's not a move you see. At least it, this was like six, seven years ago. This was not yeah. a move you saw a lot. Period. Yeah. Um, definitely didn't see it a lot in women's matches. Definitely, definitely not a lot in WWE. Yeah. Matches. She hits this, grabs her does her signature belly-to-belly suplex. Mm-hmm. And, like, you knew she was getting this championship. The whole crowd counts with her. Three count. She celebrates tears in her eyes. Even Sasha goes up to her after the match and congratulates her. They hug. It was just this incredible moment, and it was classic good guy, bad guy storytelling. And it was yeah. still down perfectly. You were happy to see Bailey finally get her chance after this, yeah. this character that in some ways kind of limited her to yeah. always being this underdog finally winning and then they had a rematch uh the following month that was a 30 minute iron man match and that okay. was which whichever uh we may talk about iron man matches under Bret Hart too but which whoever gets the most uh pinfalls or submissions and in, in the the allotted period of time wins and that main evented uh, a pay-per-view for the first time in wwe history a women's match so that was just a really good like i always use that and i know a lot of other people do is like if I wanted to show somebody something to get them into wrestling, it's like, oh yeah, show them the video packages that set up this feud and then yeah. show them those two matches. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect storytelling. Yeah. That's a, uh, no, I, hearing you talk about, I did, I remember that, like that happening. Uh, but uh, I was not invested in, I'm, I'm still like, I've, I've, you know, I check in, right. Cause it's sure, fun yeah, yeah. to see, but uh I remember that because it really felt like, wow, that was like a signature women's wrestling match moment. Like hearing yeah. about it really helped contribute to the popularity now because Sasha Banks is, you know, a main main level performer, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they both are. Bailey's currently out hurt. So she's been out for the better part of a year. So, but yeah, Sasha, ba- and I mean, Sasha Banks has crossed over now. She's, she's has a, a part on the Mandalorian. She's, yeah, yeah. Like she's going to be a breakout. Like yeah. Johnson, the rock type. Yeah. I, I really legitimately think that. And in fact, I mean, it's a, it's on my list to get uh, a feature story with her in our magazine it, in her busy schedule somewhere, because <laughs> at a point we're not going to be able like, you know, like yeah, it's yeah. Hard for us to get the rock now because the rock is, is very yeah. busy. And why would you need to talk to us? You know? Yeah. He doesn't need wrestling <laughs> no, no. anymore. Maybe, maybe, you know, when he does his, uh, his retirement run, he'll come back. His lap. Yes. Yeah. For yeah. A while. Uh, cause you know, he's going to come back to wrestling at some point. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Um, and that's, uh, you know, one thing I, I do appreciate about him is he still makes his pop-ins every now and then. Oh, he doesn't sure. need to do that. And uh, I think that's cool that he, because it's a family thing for him, right? You know? Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Um, all right. So now we're going to move on. Uh, thank you, Kev. That was a great conversation. I was, uh, you make, you remind me why I've always loved wrestling, talking to you about it. I want you okay. to know that. It just uh, hearing you talk about it is so cool. And uh, uh, so I, I, we're going to talk about my favorite wrestler and his top 10 rivalries. So yes. um, we're going to start at 10 and work our way to number one. Um, I've got my list up here. Um, and uh, so, Kev, why, why don't you tell me a little bit about this? You, you chose this topic. So let's talk yeah, about it. Then I, you give me your number 10. I mean, I assumed even, even knowing the primary focus of RocketCon and, and games that, like, I don't have, you know, 5% uh, 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 of the knowledge that you do about it, that we would probably be talking about something a little more mutual. And I figured, okay, that's either going to be music or wrestling. But, like, why... I, the only reason anybody wants to see me on YouTube, if it, at all these days, is wrestling related. Yeah. So if you're pick something wrestling and pick something that we uh, both know well. And, uh, you know, I mean, Bret Hart, I always have a hard time picking an all-time favorite, but I would call, I mean, I don't have any problem calling him the all-time greatest all-around performer. Yeah. Um, I don't know who my personal favorite is, but like he just hit, he had everything one needed. The uh, yeah. technical skill in the ring kept his opponents safe while also making it look like a real fight. Um, great storylines, rivalries, left the business better than he found it. Just Brett's fantastic. So yeah. I figured we could talk about his top 10 opponents slash rivalries. Yeah. So yeah. so who wh what, what brought you to your number 10 pick? So number 10 pick is less a rivalry and more uh, for one single match, which I believe was on Monday Night Raw uh, in about 1994. And it pretty much, along with one other match that this wrestler had made his career, and that's the one, two, three kid who later became X-Pac. Yeah. Um, and his, a lot of times it's cited as this, this match where he, got the pinfall on the, the recently deceased Razor Ramon, the, the legendary Scott Hall. And that, that probably is his number one career moment. But number two in making him a star was this match he had with Bret Hart. And I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on this, but there was actually a match somewhat recently. It may have been a CM Punk match, but there, were, there was a... Uh, Oh, yeah. Actually, it was CM Punk. It was his first match back against Darby Allen, I think. And they recreated this one moment in the match or spot, as it's called, where Bret Hart was, you know, had the better of the smaller, yeah. younger one, two, three kid until one, two, three kid threw him over with like a side headlock or something. Like yeah. That. And then Bret went like this. And it was just this momentary acknowledgement. Yeah. Oh, this kid's good. Like, yeah. I need to actually like bring my a game against him or i'm gonna yeah. leave and it just said so much in that one moment and yeah they they recreated it and somebody did a cool side by side i'll have to send it to you but that's yeah that's uh, that is cool uh, yeah, so uh my, that's my number 10 just mainly for that one match i'm i'm gonna kind of uh lump him in with a rivalry later on uh which yeah. the, you probably already know what that is oh yeah um uh but for me uh there was a year-long journey after Bret Hart got the title the first time. And he had some, like, 
guy I don't think was a great wrestler, but Brett had great matches against him. And that year-long journey from losing it at SummerSlam, I think, when he lost to Yokozuna, uh-huh. to reclaiming it, uh, what he was going on, I think that was one of the biggest, like that was his hero's journey for Brett when he really, I think, broke out as the number one star. Um, so, and he made Yokozuna matches interesting, which was hard to do. Uh, so I thought, I, I never thought he was, uh, you know, there's a lot of fumbling around and falling on people in his matches, but he had some great it's matches. Funny he, he, was, he was actually a really good athlete, but the, he had like this padding in his, uh, like sumo outfit that they gave yeah. him. And he, and he was, he was of Samoan descent. He was not Japanese. Yes, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so he really did have his work cut out for him playing this one character. And I, I yeah. mean, you know, did, did what the best he could with it, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the matches weren't always easy to watch. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, I put him in here because of what he represented for Brett's career, not yeah. so much the matches, but that rivalry really, I think is what made him, a star like that put him over the top uh made him the 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 face of the wwf at that point so yokozuna was my number 10 uh uh what's your number nine uh my number nine is is sort of adjacent to that lex luger uh the two of them were both going up the card kind of in position to be main eventers yeah and, uh they tied at the royal rumble one year they they, they yeah, i remember that moment where they, they they tumbled out of the ring at the same time and then they each got a title shot against yokozuna which was when brett finally won the title because the, the first time brett went after it he was kind of robbed of the championship and then hulk hogan came in and scooped yeah the title up which i i loved as a kid as a hulk hogan fan you yeah curious <laughs> if you saw that <laughs> um and then uh, Brett and Lex had, I, I don't think they actually competed against each other much on TV beyond, uh, yeah. just beyond like, well, actually, wait, they, they each had a match against Yokozuna. That's how that went. Yeah. Um, but they face each other at house shows. And I think this whole, okay, is it going to be this like big bodybuilder type yeah. who is the next uh, face of the company or is it going to be like the wrestler's wrestler and the yeah. of execution, Bret Hart. Yeah. And I think without having that alternative in Lex Luger and then him being chosen as the one for various reasons. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a, a turning point for Brett in his career as well. Yeah. That's a, no, that's the career rivalry. Uh, definitely. Yeah. I didn't even think about that aspect, but that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I do remember that because I found Lex Luger very boring because he was very <laughs> much a throwback uh, to an era of wrestling where it wasn't as enjoyable, right? That, we weren't quite technically proficient back when. No, it was, it was body bombers and shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, mine uh, was, they had some really great matches. Mine was about kind of going back to that CM Punk kind of thing you were talking about, grew up idolizing them. Uh, mine was Chris Benoit because uh, they had some really great, I mean, Chris Benoit was an incredible wrestler. Uh, but he also grew up, you know, came out of the same network as Bret Hart, grew up idolizing Bret Hart. And I don't know that that was as much played into the the, the actual, they didn't bring it in. But if you knew behind the scenes, right, that, that they were, this was, you know, a family affair, right? And uh, mm-hmm. obviously a tragic story with Chris Benoit, but their matches and the history they had there and just seeing anybody coming out of the, you know, the the dungeon, uh, that was technically proficient like that. Uh, 
I loved watching them go after they had, they had a couple of really great matches. I draw on a blank on, uh, uh, on one of them. Um, they had the tribute to Owen Hart after. That's Owen right. Passed. That's right. Um, which of course, why would like they were and and I think Chris Benoit was probably one of the most technically proficient wrestlers ever. Right. Like yeah. just the, the two of them together, was really fun to watch. So, uh, for me, it was the, you know, the, well, I won't use his nickname because that's kind of, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, but, but Chris Benoit, uh, is number nine. So, um, what was your number eight? I, I should mention real quick too, Ricky. Oh. Like I, I struggled with whether to have Chris Benoit on this. Is, I ended up not putting him on there just because as such a huge fan of his, I like can't watch his matches anymore, but like his and yeah. Brett's chemistry was incredible. So it was yeah. more like a Chris Benoit, get out of here. Like, I don't, yeah. Oh, it. no, I understand. But, like, uh, it, but on the inside, side, like, yeah, it was, they, they had incredible chemistry having been trained in the same place and, yeah, um, both being like top notch technical wrestlers. Yeah. So no doubt about that. Um, less of a technical wrestler, more of a, uh, all-time great heel at number eight i had roddy piper yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who, who bret hart won the intercontinental title from yeah at, gosh what was that wrestlemania in 92 i, oh I remember that match yeah uh, i should i should know that offhand but i don't um with 100 certainty but <laughs> brett uh had the championship lost it whether or not this was what actually happened he um it, the story was that he had the flu or something like that. And at a house show, he lost the championship to the Mountie. Yeah. And promptly lost it to uh, Roddy Piper at yep. Royal Rumble, I believe. And then at, I, I, I want to say WrestleMania 92, um, it was the two of them one-on-one -on -one for the championship. And, you know, uh, Roddy Piper was kind of, apart from being one of the all-time most uh, successful heels and, and villains and, and just – being very popular amongst wrestling fans was not always the easiest to work with. He like did yeah. not, wasn't very giving in the ring in the way that yeah. maybe Bret Hart is. He he infamously did not get pinned on television for something like fifteen years or something like yeah. that. And then finally, Bret pinned him, and it was such a huge deal. So I think uh, in the story of Bret's career and the fa fact that he was the one that was finally able to beat Roddy Piper, yeah, uh, clean. You know, yeah. that's that's a huge deal. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, like, I I remember that match, and that was definitely a career-making moment for him, right? That was a step out from being the 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 Hart Foundation, like, to yep. being his own man. Uh, but I don't, like, and I do, th I think Roddy Piper was a great heel. I didn't, I thought about it, but I, I feel like that was only their, their only real match was that match. Yeah, uh, yeah. And true. so that's why I didn't go with it, but I did love, like, that was definitely a, uh, cause I loved <laughs> Roddy Piper was such a great villain. Like I missed that, just that brashness, that cockiness, uh, and owning the villain, uh, role. So yeah, that was a great match and a great moment. Uh, um, mine, uh, was, uh, was a, one of those big guys, but was a, uh, um, a, uh, athletic guy. He, left to go be a part of the NWO. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was a bodyguard for, I believe it was for Triple H at that point, right? When uh, Kevin Nash, or was it Shawn Michaels? He was Shawn, Shawn Michaels. Michaels. Shawn Michaels' bodyguard. And uh, that he was kind of the, the thing I really loved about that was, you know, 
I'm sure this one's going to come up on later, later on both of our lists, but you know, he was kind of like the, the main boss or the guy you had main bodyguard you had to beat before you got to the final villain. Yeah. Uh, and it was really fun because you could see Brett just exasperated with the whole, all the shenanigans, but Kevin Nash was diesel was a great wrestler. Like he could, uh, he did a lot of great sales and watching them in the ring against each other. Uh, Brett struggled with a lot of the bigger guys cause he had to do so much extra work for them, but they yeah. had good matches because Kevin Nash could actually hit his marks, you know, make his moves. Yeah. And I thought it was just really fun to watch them. And uh, it was fun. That was a fun era of storytelling, even if I don't really like how it ended. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. I, I don't, actually don't have Diesel on my list, and, but like it's, there's not really a good reason why. That's the yeah, well, classic Bret Hart rival. Yeah, um, he had a lot. It, he, the thing, he had so many great <laughs> moments in his career. So, yeah. uh, uh, sure. so that was my number eight. So At, what's number seven? Go ahead. <laughs> number seven, I have Jerry Lawler, um, yeah. who not on the level of uh, Chris Benoit, maybe, but like there are reasons why people aren't crazy about Jerry Lawler as a, yeah. as a person. Um, but we don't have to get into that. But as far as an in-ring um, rivalry between him and Brett, and and how it was told out of the ring with Jerry yeah. always taking shots at Brett his family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then they had a, was it a kiss my foot match? Was that what the, <laughs> yes, rivalry I remember that culminated at one point. It was just very of that era storytelling and Jerry Lawler, you know, we spoke of these like different territories in PWI uh, making them accessible because they were, you could get them on TV if you lived within a yeah. certain radius, but like I, I didn't get them in Philadelphia growing up. Um, Jerry Lawler was, even though I was aware of him, like him wrestling at that level with that gimmick, like full on with the crown and everything. Yeah. And um, it was very fresh at that point. And yeah. I think he was, uh, there was this, I, I think WWF also to its credit did a good job of showing that this guy, okay, this guy's a really big deal from uh, Memphis. And he, uh, if Brett beats him, it's takes him to a new level. So I think, again, he's another important kind of stepping stone in Brett's career. Yeah, uh, I may I may agree with that later. I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so for me, uh, number seven, um, it, this was one he had a rivalry with uh, through most of his early career, uh, both when he was in the the Heart Foundation uh, and then when he was a solo wrestler. Uh, he's married into his family. Um, that's Davy Boy Smith, uh, the British Bulldog. They their early matches were awesome, uh, and I think that you know feuding with the British Bulldogs versus the Heart Foundation was awesome. And then uh, when they got you know were solo wrestlers, I think that was some of his outside of like Rick, Ricky Steamboat. I think those are some of his best solo matches uh, early career. Uh, both great wrestlers great personas they had great uh, promos against each other you know sometimes friends sometimes enemies and then you know, brothers in real life or outside of, you know uh through marriage for a while so yeah. i thought that was just a great uh great matches and just so many great promos and for a long time at the beginning of his career just a great uh rival so davy boy smith 
Awesome. I will have more to say about a theme. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so what's your number six? Number six, I have Yokozuna. Um, All right. I think, so I think you've covered everything pretty well before, but I'll, I'll just add that that was maybe more like the peak of my uh, wrestling fandom was there the, the first leading of that first WrestleMania match yeah. um, was when I was watching the most and the most intently. And I kind of fell off gradually over the years. Oddly enough, and I, I don't know if we've talked about this, I missed a lot of the Attitude Era as it uh, happened because around that, that new generation era, era when Brett was on top, yeah, that's, and not because of him. It was yeah. more just like I was started to get more interested in other sports and music. Yeah. Things I started watching a little less. So, I mean, I, I kept an eye on it. Yeah. But um, so maybe that's part of why I have, like, for instance, Yoko here and I don't have Diesel on there. But, yeah. But that's, yeah. How, it, that's how it landed. Yeah. Uh, so I have him at number six. Yeah. I mean, obviously, <laughs> a landmark in his career. And it's funny. Yeah. The Attitude Era is when I started, also when I started pulling up, probably just a little bit after you. Uh, yeah. But uh, just because my friends really started getting into it, so it kept me involved. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't have them on here uh, because I don't I, – I do think they had kind of a rivalry, but I think the, the one added uh, wrestler from the Attitude Era that he didn't – I didn't put on there was The Rock. Yeah. Uh, and I know they had great matches – but I do think The Rock was one of the people in that scene uh, that he, Brett, did respect. Mm-hmm. Even if he wasn't, like, it felt like, because he was, you know, multi-generation wrestler, he still did things the right way, even mm-hmm. though, you know, not every, he didn't, I mean, obviously, we'll talk about that later. But uh, um, <laughs> uh, I, did, I do think he had some great matches with The Rock. Who The Rock didn't always, <laughs> always have great matches. He could have some pretty... Uh, well especially early on i think the rock as his career like towards the end of his active run he was actually having really good they weren't classic technical matches but for the style he worked yeah perfect but um the the hulk hogan role (laughs) he was a he was a proficient hulk hogan uh yeah um yeah so um anyway i will give you uh that that was our i think our first crossover was yokozuna i think there'll be some more later but uh uh, I think outside of, uh, you know, one, his, one of his biggest rivals, the most technically proficient wrestler for number six that he ever went against was uh, Kurt Henning, uh, Mr. Perfect. And that was perfect. was a heel. It was like super heel. Uh, they, they fought, I think for intercontinental championship, that was the level they were battling her out. Mostly uh, it, perfect did win the, the title eventually, right? The heavyweight title once, I think, uh, uh, um, not in WWE. He won it okay. in the uh, WWE. Uh, okay. Yeah, I knew he had one. So he never quite reached the level Brett did. Uh, right. You know, but as far as, I mean, Perfect Plex was a great move. Uh, just And their matches were awesome. Like, yeah, heel versus uh, face with great execution. The promos were fun, you know. But you could tell they were both that really worked to make the other person look good in matches. So when you had them going against each other, it was awesome to watch them go. So, uh, and I just, you know, they had a fun, you know, two years where they were clashing against each other. And uh, uh, so mine was uh, Mr. Perfect. My number five is a guy named Mr. Perfect. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, I mean, what else can you say? I mean, they, they were both 
people from that territory system where it was yeah. very much like regional and local wrestling, as you said before. And then you have um, Kurt Hennig. Actually, he didn't, I forget if he's actually from Minnesota. I, I should know that off the top of my head, but that is where he um, became an inventor. He won the heavyweight title, the world heavyweight title for AWA, which, which was a big deal. It wasn't on the yeah. level of, of the WWF yeah, yeah. at that time, but it was, it was aired uh, nationally, I believe during his run, it was airing on ESPN. Um, but it was certainly like a top level, like near the top level yeah. promotion. Um, you know, at least on the level of like what an ECW was in the late 90s. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I mean, d very different presentation. It was more technical, but like as far as notoriety, like the average person could feasibly have heard of it. Sure. And the biggest stars were known. So Vince McMahon and WF scooped up a lot of these big stars from these territories and Bret Hart became the hitman in WWF and, you know, was the Hart Foundation. Yep. And then um, uh, the reverse order, but both things. And then yeah. Kurt Hennig eventually became Mr. Perfect yeah. and developed this persona that everyone would really know him for. Um, and they had these incredible matches, uh, especially for the time in WWF, which was not known as like, yeah. like technical wrestling promotion, yeah. like the big uh, comic book style. And it was very popular with kids and popular with uh, some adults and it didn't uh, but I think Brett and Kurt helped change that a little bit because these matches were getting such a good response yeah. you know, along with some other wrestlers uh, doing their part as well and I remember even as a kid and I, and I couldn't say this is a good technical wrestling match I, I mean if I did I was parroting an adult so. yeah sure but, like, you could tell watching it like oh these are some cool looking things they're doing yeah. different and like like I don't see this guy doing this and I don't think yeah. this guy could do this and even I think even as a kid like you can look at that and appreciate it for what it is and then when you get older and you see like how they were um, I don't know like the, the one criticism if it's made of today's more athletic and uh hard-hitting and acrobatic yeah. wrestling styles that it looks a little bit less like a fight but those guys still made it look like a fight yeah um, so yeah so good. yeah no i mean obviously uh uh I, and i like kurt henning was one of my favorite wrestlers too i so mean good. i just loved watching i wish he'd gotten uh i think if he'd been you know three or four years later when Mm -hmm. You know, when the, their their style of wrestling became more popular, I think he would have been a massive star because he could work a mic, he could you know hit his spots, and like to your point, I think he he was also a little bit older, uh, yeah. so he just kind of missed that window. You know, he was still in that. Uh, that's too bad, and uh, you know, unfortunately, like a lot of these another tragic story, right? So there's yeah. a lot of those on here. Uh, but my number five uh is is also uh you know was on your list and uh it was probably the greatest villain uh pure villain in his uh his history took it out on his family i remember uh i just remember the king of the ring match when he got so mad at brett being crowned the king of the ring uh and and for me in you know the kayfabe world they had such a it felt so real you felt like he really hated the Hart family like through <laughs> and through and uh i i jerry the king lawler is it was just such a great villain because he announced most of his matches so he would be just down there heckling him when he was a manager just anytime he could be a needle in brett's side yep. uh he was and, and lawler was a good wrestler he wasn't great yep. but he was he was technically proficient uh, especially from the era he came from, right? Yes. Uh, 
And uh, so they could they could get some good matches in there. You'd see them go against each other, and it, it looked real. The choreography was good. Brett sold him a little bit, but I I, I always yeah Jerry the King Lawler. I, I remember just how much he him talking about his mom and dad and yep. attacking them. I think it's Survivor Series over the the barrier and just yeah. just what a great heel. Uh, and and for him that was probably the biggest heel to me in his career. So. I kind of want to go back and watch one of their matches too, because two of the one thing that both of those guys are famous for too is throwing like a good realistic looking punch without yeah. actually clobbering someone. Someone like Vader maybe was actually clobbering people. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, no, no, that's yeah. So so yeah, I think we'll probably have a lot of crossover as we get up here. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. There's still some names missing. So. Uh, so so who's your number four? My number four, and I'm. I'm a little surprised I don't have them higher, but I mean, there's only four spots left. Uh, yeah. It's Owen Hart. Oh. Uh, so, Owen Hart. Uh, yeah. That's my number four, too. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about Owen. I mean, Brett's little brother, um, of course, met, like, met a tragic end um, at the Over the Edge pay-per-view. Really horrible, horrible situation. Yeah. Um, he, he uh, a stunt gone wrong, a stunt that should have never happened. Yeah. Uh, but he and Brett, um, had some incredible moments in WWF, this brother versus brother feud. Um, and they'd, they'd certainly ha- been in the ring with each other. I don't know if they had official matches in Stampede or not, but they, they certainly like were wrestling around the Hart family dungeon training growing up. Um, so they knew each other better, better than just about anybody. Yeah. Um, and they had this rivalry that spanned uh, two particular intre- intre- particularly interesting matches. Um, the one was a steel cage match, I believe at SummerSlam yep. 93. Yeah. Um, and that was incredible. Um, and you'll see homages to moments in that match. Um, still today, people will recreate parts of it. Uh, I remember there's in particular, there's one Edge versus Christian match, and those two were kayfabe brothers. And they, yeah. they, they flat yeah. out pulled the ending from it, and it was, was cool. <laughs> but Brett and Owen had that match. And, of course, they had their famous one of the most uh, uh, beloved WrestleMania matches of all time at WrestleMania 10. Um, and that's where, wait, 10 or nine? Am I, am I mixing up the years? Nine. But it was the year that Brett won the, uh, the, the championship. And in the opening bout of that show, he lost to Owen. Yeah. <laughs> like, which was huge for Owen. Yeah. Kind of a single star when he had been this lower card, you know, tag yep. team guy for a while. And then just kind I remember of that just match. easily Very dismissible. Well. Ah, so good. So I, I don't know. What, what do you think about Owen? I've been going on for uh, well, yeah, no, you uh, <laughs> the, the thing, obviously, I didn't appreciate as a kid. So yeah. as a kid, this wouldn't have been on my top 10. I'll tell you, I thought it was, sure. you know, Owen was Brett's bratty little brother. Like that was <laughs> that, that was his persona. Right. Like yeah. uh, very, you know, obnoxious kid. But then when I got older and was watching those matches, I mean, they were, wow, they were really good together. Uh, and there probably was some sibling, like some of that sibling rivalry had to be real, right? Like, yeah, yeah your brother's, yeah. the, the face of the company, at, like becomes the face of the company and you're, you know, nothing, but then Brett, you know, put him over, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he didn't have to do that. And, you, yeah. you know, he could have been like, no, that's not how this company works. <laughs> But Brett put his little brother over on on the biggest stage of wrestling. Wild. Uh, in a great match. Uh, like, they they were really good against each other. 
uh, yeah, just everything you said. And, it, you know, it, it's wild uh, how well they sold that, you know, Owen hates Brett. Uh, like, because when you see just how much they cared about each other and just, yeah, yeah. you know, obviously the feelings that that family has against the WWE <laughs> are uh, uh, mixed at best. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, Owen Hart, that was a great great rivalry uh and uh it's sad ending obviously but the rivalry was well done at that point because bro was in a different company um <laughs> so uh i think this one my number three won't be on your list but i, uh, I i'm thinking your number three might have been on my list yeah uh so my number three is davy boy smith yeah <laughs> yeah so right. um one of my favorite matches of all time, SummerSlam 1992 um, at Wembley Stadium, Brett and British Bulldog. Um, and that's considered one of the greatest intercontinental title matches of all time. Great technical wrestling. Another situation where Davey Boy was at one level and he was like pretty well regarded. Yeah. But again, you know, was went from the tag team ranks to this mid card and then Brett really made him look like a star in that, you know, this big main event um in front of a british crowd and they had other great matches too i think they i want to say they had a really uh, solid one at king of the ring a couple of years later um i met i skipped class like a three-hour night class like one of them like where you skip the teacher's actually going to notice my yeah. senior year of college <laughs> when i had already skipped one of these classes so like this was at the point where i was risking having my like grade level knocked down by yeah missing <laughs> yeah. it because Brett had his DVD set out with WWE and he was making two appearances per his website. One was in Ontario. And then for some reason, the other one was in Northeast Philadelphia at the Best Buy on Roosevelt Boulevard. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. So I skipped class. I went and met up with, uh, you know, my buddy Andy. I met, I met up with yeah. him and neither of us drove. So like I had to go home and then meet up with him. And then we got on the bus and went up Roosevelt Boulevard. And then we went and waited in line to meet Bret Hart. And one of the, I was like, I got to have something memorable and good to say to him because he's, yeah. like everyone's going to be fawning over him. And I said, um, yeah, the him versus Davey Boy is one of my favorite matches of all time. And it's an honor to meet him. And then on the TV behind him was whatever that other match was with Davey Boy from a couple yeah. years later. And he's like, he's like, oh, thank you. This is a good one too. And that I'll never, like, it was just such a casual, but like positive yeah. interaction with him. That, yeah. Like, I'll take that with me forever i like yeah you know, they say don't meet uh your heroes people you have respect for but like if you can keep it brief enough it can be good <laughs> yeah and it doesn't always turn out bad uh no. i think that was one of the things i liked is he, he was a guy you rarely heard poor fan interactions with he took the yeah. fan service like the fan side of it very seriously because he i know it's silly right like we're talking yeah. about professional wrestling and i know it's silly but one of the things that I do appreciate about that kayfabe era was, you know, how much the, the fan interaction and how seriously they took it. And that's one of the things I always liked about Brett is he realized that he was working for us. You know, he worked for, you know, Vince McMahon and everything, but sure. That family yeah. really, they took that seriously that, Hey, they were taking care. It's like John Cena with the make a wish foundation. Right. Like I, I love that. Like I hear about John Cena, like that's a guy who takes the the fan part of it seriously. Cause I think some of that gets, not all of it. I know there's a lot of them that do, but I think 
there was a, a long time where the, they realized these fans are our livelihood. Uh, mm-hmm. And Brett was really great at that. So, uh, and you hear that story or just reinforce it, right? Like, yeah. Hey, this guy. Brett, I mean, I'm in my twenties at this point. He, yeah. like, he didn't have to, he could have been grumpy or whatever. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like that. for two hours at that point. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've definitely met people in bands that are, and we're like much more accommodating circumstances and a lot worse attitudes. So, right. uh, <laughs> um, so my number three, I'm pretty sure is not going to be on your list. Uh, and uh, because you admittedly weren't as invested at this point, but uh, I think it's the only person at that time who hated uh, Vince McMahon and almost as much as Brett and uh, still does, even though he works with the company stone cold, Steve Austin, uh, <laughs> They, I think they behind the scenes probably got along real well, even though they're very different people. Uh, but right. uh, they had some great matches. Um, I don't know if you've gone back and watched any of their matches, uh, but I remember just a really uh, a bloody faced incident with the the, uh-huh. the sharpshooter and uh, and Stone Cold tapping out and just like the he tamed the rattlesnake and uh. I know there was, you know, behind the scenes, Brett had a lot of issues with the click and the, the attitude era, yep. but he did a lot of work with Stone Cold in that time. And they were, you know, Stone Cold is the face of attitude era and Brett as the, you know, stodgy conservative <laughs> of wrestling. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, in, in his, you know, I love America, right? That was the, the Bret Hart Canadian era, which that storyline was absurd. Uh, <laughs> but I think the reality of it was Brett being frustrated with the direction that he was channeling his frustrations with the direction wrestling was going in. Right. Uh, against the guy who I think probably kind of agreed with him, even though it made him a bigger star because he was, a you know, he came up the same. He was stunning Steve Austin. He did, he did the work. And then he caught on a character that just kicked off this thing. Uh, but you could tell he was Stone Cold. Steve Austin was a, a, an old pro. You know, he came from a younger guy than Brett, obviously, but came from that same mentality. Probably grew up watching Brett Hart. Uh, and they put mm-hmm. on some just great matches against each other. Uh, like, I'm not as good at recalling the matches as you are. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, no, Well, I mean, obviously, I, I mix up the WrestleMania too. numbers and all that. And I'm, it's my full-time <laughs> job. So. Uh, so I don't know if you've watched those, but I would encourage you to go back and watch them because they were great matches uh, between two really talented wrestlers. And uh, the ideolo- ideological future of the company was kind of, and I think that rivalry made Stone Cold a star too. Uh, like, I think that's one of the things that really shot him up the Texas rattlesnake versus the Canadian. Cause Brett was still, you know, a top three draw in the company at that time. So um, my number three is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now I'm kind of curious, Ricky, what your top two looks like because my number two is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, oh, all right, <laughs> all right. I think I have an idea. Of yeah, the you should, you don't do. the overlap is with, but we'll see. Yeah, um, but no, I've I've absolutely seen. Um, I've seen a couple of matches between them. I, there was uh, one where uh, Stone Cold was coming up, still I think as the ringmaster, where. Or maybe he wasn't technically the ringmaster anymore, but he was still using the million dollar dream, Ted DiBiase. Yeah. Move. Yeah. And Brett counters it into a pin, like in a really innovative kind of. Yeah. And you'll still see this spot used to end matches. 
a lot now, like a variation on it. And that's a very good, just technical wrestling match because Stone Cold had this base. And I actually was him. My introduction to him was WCW's stunning Steve Austin. Yeah. When I heard he was becoming this huge star. Yeah. As, as, as with a shaved head and like, Oh, where's his long blonde hair? And why is he such a, like a hard ass now? And like, you know, (laughs) um, but even when I wasn't watching, like I still had friends pointing things out to me and, occasionally would catch a sh- like a big show or yeah. like a match that like you have to look at this one and i don't remember if i saw it during that period or if it was when i started to get back into it like i was catching up on all the stuff i missed but yeah i've absolutely that wrestlemania match with uh the i i quit match with him and yeah. uh stone, stone cold and brett and uh ken shamrock was the ref yep and stone cold would not quit but he passed out in a pool of his own blood in the yeah show. yeah brutal so good one of the best rate that's wrestlemania matches and best rated it's like most yeah yeah um so yeah incredible so i and i think like you said it's this passing of the torch moment there were these guys who had very different philosophies in the moment despite coming from some of the same roots and yeah you know i mean stone cold started wrestling in the late 80s so i i would be shocked if he wasn't at least partially influenced by what the Hart foundation and the british bulldogs were doing in the wwf yeah yeah you know he went and trained not trained, but he, he worked a lot with Chris Adams in uh, Texas. And I believe Chris Adams, who was a British wrestler, was in Stampede for a time as well. So there, there's definitely some overlap yeah. between yeah. them. Um, yeah, great, great rivals. And um, it's I, I will sometimes think about the fact that, like, in those two very different eras, I'm glad that they got to overlap in the way that they did and make some magic before they went on their respective ways, you know. So, yeah, here we are. So who's your well, number two? Um, I, I think your number two or my number two is your number one. Uh, I'm going to guess uh, okay. because my number one, it'll be outside of the ring. Uh, okay. Then I know your number one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number two, uh, it was definitely his number one rival in the ring. I don't think anybody would question that. And they yeah. had some of the most iconic matches. Uh, the first ever, um, uh, ladder match uh people you know not the first televised but the first ever ladder match was between Shawn michaels and bret hart because they were the only two people that were proficient enough to pull it off to make sure without getting hurt uh yeah. uh sean michaels i loved 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 uh he he came up the exact same time as bret hart right I mean, actually even a little yeah. bit before him uh he got a pop before him with uh you know one of the most iconic moments in wrestling right kicking his partner through the barbershop window right uh like that was that was a big deal and uh you know for a long time uh sean michaels was a heel and bret hart was a face uh they came up together you know against each other so many matches and then obviously uh the montreal screw job uh was probably the most famous match in wrestling history still to this day if 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 not it's one of the most famous because uh, yeah. of the far-reaching consequences, uh, um, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this, so I don't want to talk too much about it. Oh, but, uh, uh, great matches. Uh, I mean, Shawn Michaels is very different person, uh, and I think you know, obviously, one of the people most responsible for the direction of the modern r- professional wrestling. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he was the <laughs> he was the the corporate guy that sucked up to Vince and got his buddies in place and took over the company. And right. Brett was like, that's not how we do things right behind the scenes. The, you know, Shawn Michaels won out, but uh, 
they their rivalry was real. Uh, I don't, yeah, I think they've amended uh, or amended fences at this point, but yeah. there's definitely real life animosity for a long time between those two, and it spilled over into some great matches. So, uh, yeah, what, what's your number one? <laughs> so, my number one is Shawn Michaels. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> I believe I don't know if on top of all that you mentioned the the Iron Man match that they had. So that was the oh, sixth yeah. and it ended with a sudden death, additional fall. That was the first time WWF had done an Iron Man match. As you mentioned, the first time WWF had done a ladder match. Um, and then the infamous Montreal screw job, which was actually not the first time WWF had done a screw job. It happened at least once before with uh fabulous Mula and uh Wendy Richter back in the 80s because they wanted to get the belt off Wendy Richter. They had uh. Mula show up and dressed up as in this gimmick as the spider lady who was I, the, the woman's name is escaping me who normally played that gimmick but it was obviously a different person and she just kind of like rolled her up and pinned her and it was like uh, okay i have the belt again now fabulous Mello is not a good person either but yeah. <laughs> it's a whole other day um, but um yeah sean and brett this this huge uh kind of battle of the ethos in some ways of the the uh traditional and the uh irreverent and you know they uh made magic in the ring nonetheless and like you said the, their rivalry in a very real real way ended up breaking the fourth wall and um exposing the wrestling business in a way that like the toothpaste could never go back in the tube yeah and uh, gave birth to the Attitude Era, which I've got to assume that the person behind the screw job is your number one. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. It's Vince McMahon. Um, they, and they did know, eventually have a match, Ricky. They, they, they did. A... They did. <laughs> uh, but I don't think, uh, you know, the click, uh, for those of you out there that aren't familiar with the click, that was uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley uh, and uh, it was Paul Levesky, right? That's his real name. And uh, and Shawn Michaels basically took creative direction uh, of who was going to win matches, who was going to like they started running the the story behind the scenes. Oh, uh, it popped off. Uh, I lost my screen. Give me one second. Sorry. Still I think I'm still there for you, but you're not there for me. I'll have to edit that out. Um, uh, so, yeah, Vince McMahon, uh, you know, the, the what's the classic line? Uh, Brett, or, Brett. Uh, we didn't screw Brett. Brett screwed Brett. Uh, and, and Brett Hart <laughs> charging into the locker room uh, to find him and, and punching him so hard, he locked, knocked him in the air and broke his ankle, right? Or sprained his ankle. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not a kayfabe hit. That was a very real punch. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it did, you know, that was the moment that signified, signified attitude was the King, right? Brett was gone from WWE. Uh, Shawn Michaels was fully in charge. His number one person, professional and, you know, in ring, rival because they were definitely you know vying for the top spot in the company for a long time right it was those mm -hmm. two versus each other uh and and I, I do think it was kind of poetic that you know the person that he took put over in that era stone cold kind of took up his mantle after he left right he became the anti-vince uh and it was it was him carrying on bread i felt like uh because oh, Vince yeah. McMahon is the ultimate enemy of the Hart family in a lot yep. of ways, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that all, that moment kind of broke me from wrestling because uh, it it felt like something that 
while they were all in on it, you know, there was still good deals behind there. And then the there was bad blood there. Well earned bad blood by Vince McMahon. So he's my number one villain for me. Uh, in a lot of ways, he's a terrible person who uh, who <laughs> dominated a, 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 an art form I loved because I would call it art. Uh, you know, it's athletic art. Um, and uh, he definitely, uh, you know, Brett's career never recovered from that. Right? He was went over to WCW and never really had a had a moment there. He just kind of existed. That was the. So he he kind of ruined Brett's career. I mean, he was still made a lot of money and had a good career over there, but it was never the same. He was never the top draw. No, and he eventually got hurt, uh, kicked in the head by Goldberg, because yeah, and that, that ultimately resulted in you know brain issues for him, and he had, yep. he had a stroke eventually, and he you know he couldn't wrestle anymore. Mo- so, motorcycle uh, accident too, right? Didn't he have a motorcycle accident? He may have. I I'm, yeah. I'm, some of the the history is a little fuzzy but yeah he never properly wrestled again he did come back and when he mended his fences with wwe yeah um he had a wrestlemania match with uh vince mcmahon that was like largely smoke and mirrors it yeah was, like, a lot of props and things like that and he he actually had an intercontinental title run at that time i believe he beat the miz for it i want to say oh wow um, and it was yeah I, it was a really weird time and I, like i assume it was pretty much like he punched the miz and then put him in the sharpshooter yeah you know, but yeah I need to go back and look at that. I may have some some of those details weird. Uh, <laughs> that is weird. I, I decidedly <laughs> um, checked out of wrestling at that point. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I get it because, like, actually, famously with sports and really even with wrestling, because part of that was like I was a big Hulk Hogan guy, and I mean, talk about people who turned out not being what you thought they were. But yeah, um, he he, uh, he left WWF and did not immediately go to WCW. There was a gap. Yeah, and. Um, I think I have this habit or had this habit at least when my favorites would check out. And I mean, I, it wasn't just him. There were a couple others that left. Um, I would sort of drift away from it. And it happened with sports too. When, when a favorite player of mine would get traded yeah. to another team, I'd hang on for a little bit and then like, Oh, I, I don't really have a new favorite yet. And yeah. then I would just something else would grab my attention, you know? So, um, you know, but that's, but it happens. And yeah. uh, thankfully now, I mean, there's so many things out there to enjoy that if, if you do get bored with something and I mean, this isn't by no means just limited to uh, wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> find something else. that's more up your alley, you know? Yeah, no. Uh, well, it, Hey Kev, it's been uh, awesome talking with yeah. you. Um, Likewise. You know, you, uh, you reignited uh, that part of me. Uh, every time I talk to you about it, I get excited about wrestling again. So maybe I'll uh, go check out Star World, right? That's what you called it. Um, Stardom. Stardom. It's, Stardom. But the full name is World Wonder Ring Stardom, but it, that's just the format. Everyone calls it Stardom. Stardom. I uh, That sounds like it might be right up my alley. So uh, thank you. And uh, yeah. I look forward to the day we see each other again until Megan, I said hello. I hope she's doing uh, all right. And uh, uh, it was good to talk to you. So, yeah. Talking to you too. Say my address to Adrian and the dogs. Will do. (laughs) Will do. All right. I'll talk to you later, man. All right.